Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. It's that season of the year where gratitude is and thanks are things that we focus on. But I got to tell you, this series and this focus on gratitude for me is more than just a seasonal thing. Uh, gratitude has become the most important spiritual practice in my life. And so today, what I want to really do is witness and testify to really just my own experience with that in hopes that we as a congregation, we as families and individuals can become a people who are uh, expressive of our gratitude because I think something is unlocked in us in connection with God when we express our thanks and praise. And so this morning I want to begin in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or uh, your phones or tablets with you to turn there with me, feel free to do that. 1 Thessalonians 5, this is a uh, passage uh, that Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. And I think it's as relevant as it could ever be, these words, for us in 2019. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Three things that Paul commands. Rejoice always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but if I ever needed a, a Bible verse that I'd memorized, I needed a quote in a pinch, in a pop quiz or something at, at church, Jesus wept was always my go-to, and I thought that was the only two-word verse, but there you go. Two more verses for you if you need to remember. Rejoice always, pray continuously. Just tidbit for your help there. Uh, like I said, gratitude has become the most important spiritual practice for my spiritual growth over the last couple of years. Over the past two years, I've kept a, a, a gratitude journal where every night uh, before my head hits the pillow, I write in that journal something about the day that's passed, whether it's some event that happened, something, uh, some story I want to remember of gratitude of my family, something that happened in my ministry, um, anything that happened that I was thankful for. Uh, and that, that practice, those journals have shaped my life. I'm about to crack open journal number three, actually. And it's amazing how easy this can happen, and yet what it does in your life if your antenna is up to all that God is doing, all that uh, God has brought as gift in your life. I want to begin with prayer this morning and give thanks to God as we open this message. God, we want to thank you. We want to give praise to you, for you are the God who is above all gods. You are the only one who is worthy of our praise and our honor and our adoration. And God, there are so many good things in our lives, and we want to attribute them to you. You are the source of all good things and all good gifts. So this morning, God, as as we witness uh, to our praise that goes alone to you, to our thanks that goes to you, to our prayer that we want to keep a continual practice in our lives, my prayer is that you would deliver to us what the gift of gratitude always does. 
and that you would help us discover that in these weeks ahead as we enter into this time of thanksgiving in our country and around the world. This morning, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I want to just kind of set a spectrum before you today of things that are very opposite, but I think are things that are worthy of praise and things that we value. Maybe think of it like a gauge, right? There's uh, on one side, what I want to put up is is, uh, impermanence, that there are things that are impermanent in our lives um, that are fleeting, that that we ought to be thankful for and, and, and have gratitude for. There's also things that are per- more permanent in our lives that we ought to give thanks for. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, when Paul commands us to rejoice always, to pray continuously, and to give thanks in all circumstances, it requires everything on this spectrum between those things that are permanent and those things that are impermanent that we are to confess to God and thanks to Him. Every point on this spectrum. But first, I want to talk about permanence. What are those more permanent things in our lives that we ought to give thanks for? See, there's a power and a meaning that comes with things that are long-lasting in our lives, things that have longevity and duration. Things in our world are this way. Think about in Egypt, one of the primary iconic images you probably have are of the pyramids that were built, right? If you ever were to go to Egypt, if any of you have done that, my guess is you probably tried to find a sphinx and a pyramid along the way to take a picture nearby. That's a, uh, an enduring, somewhat permanent thing, right? The same is true with the Great Wall of China, right? One of those permanent things, those fixtures that if you're going to go to China, that's one thing you've got to see. Another uh, thing, if you've ever been to Paris, everyone wants to see the Mona Lisa, right? And uh, I've heard from people who've been there, it's a little disappointing sometimes. Uh, there's a big crowd around it with their selfies up, of course, as Christopher talked about earlier. But it's this enduring, iconic art piece. And you can think of other art pieces as well that have a, an endurance and a permanence to their value. The same is true not just with things or places, it's true in our relationships. Uh, for instance, we, we value uh, anniversaries in our culture, 50-year-long marriages, right? People who are in marriage together or people, friendships that last a long time. We value a permanence because we live in a world that is so used to the opposite. We live in a Snapchat, instant gratification culture. We don't even know how to wait in line anymore without pulling our phone out to try to distract ourselves uh, because we live in this impermanent culture. And so, uh, I think about this when it comes to appliances, when it comes to pots and pans or antiques that might have been passed on from previous generations. Those things lasted much longer than things today that we buy, right? I mean, things today, they, they're, they, they last for a, a period of time, but not like old appliances, not like old pots and pans. And it's just cheaper to be able to discard them rather than to have something have stories and to last or even to be restored, right? Antique furniture, you might have that restored. Now we just replace things. It's part of the impermanence of our world. And that's why we value, I think, in this culture, because of, supply, uh, because of the lack of supply of these things, the things that do last, the things that are more permanent. Because some things can't be replaced when they have that kind of value. This year, on April 15th, it wasn't just tax day that reminds me of that day. April 15th was also a day where you probably saw a live video of a fire that was blazing in the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. 
And on that day, I saw several pictures from some of you all who had visited at some point and had a picture. It was something you posted that day of this memory of this amazing, you know, uh, architectural feat that had occurred. It was built in 1160. It took a hundred years to build this cathedral. And our version of ancient architecture is a little different. Here it's like a, a curved roof Taco Bell is ancient architecture in America, right? Uh, but back in the day, it was something far different. In fact, when you walk through the streets of London or Paris, uh, it makes colonial Williamsburg look like new architecture, right? I mean, we, in our own country, our ideas are relative compared to much of the rest of the world, but there is a resonance, a gravitas with something that has been around that has stood the test of time. We all understand the value that we place on these permanent things. These things are worthy of our value. These things are worthy in the midst of an ever-changing culture, things that stick around and last. Now, I do have to say in the midst of this scale about permanence and impermanence that nothing is truly permanent in this world, right? Even these things will pass away, right? Not everything will last. It's relative, the idea of permanence in our culture. But Paul commands us to to rejoice to give thanks in all circumstances and these permanent things, these long-term friendships, marriages, relationships that last, we know that not every relationship does, and that's why we honor and give value to those things. What's less obvious, though, I think, is the gratitude that we're to give to things on the opposite side of the scale, which I think are worthy of our admiration and our thanks as well. And those are the impermanent things in life. And that brings me to a story that involves Peter, James, John, Jesus, and actually a guest appearance uh, by Moses and Elijah. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me if you would to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. We actually addressed this story earlier this year a little bit in the Gospel of Luke series that we did. It's the story of the transfiguration. Jesus is with his closest three disciples. They've gone up on this mountain And there's this amazing experience that happens. I want to read from Matthew 17, beginning in verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What a moment this would have been to have been there. I don't know what it means that Jesus was transfigured, but the Greek term there is the same idea we get of like a a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's the word that's kind of like metamorphosis that we would use. To change form, to look or appear different. And so here's this figure, uh, Jesus, who's somehow his appearance has changed. And in that moment, we see that Peter speaks up. Now, if you're newer to the Gospels, you may not know that this is something Peter likes to do. Peter's our caffeinated disciple, right? And all of you have somebody like this in your life, probably in your workplace. You've got a Peter that likes to speak up. You may be around the Thanksgiving table in 10 days, and you might have a Peter there at your table. And don't say any names. And if you don't have any Peters in your life, you may just be other people's Peter, um, the one who always needs a word to get in. And here they are at this Mount of Transfiguration. Not only is Jesus transfigured here, Moses and Elijah show up. This is like the greatest hits of Israel's past. Moses is the receiver of the law, the one who led them through the Red Sea earlier on. Elijah is one of the great prophets. The law and the prophets are here. 
It's this great moment, and Peter sees it, and he sees what's before him. We've, we, we all maybe know what this is like. I, and this is what he says, basically, and how I imagine it being said. This is so cool, Jesus. Well, I got an idea. Why don't I just build shelters and we'll just stay up here forever? How does that sound? Have you ever wanted to do that? You ever had a moment in your life that you just wanted to bottle up? You just wanted to push pause and freeze it because it's this beautiful thing. This morning as I was thinking about this message, I was on the front row and I was holding my daughter, which it's getting harder to do the older she gets. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're sharing communion with our daughters. Besides, it was just one of those moments as I'm preaching a message trying to live that out of, this is not going to be here forever. And I think Peter's in one of those moments in the scene in Matthew 17 where he's like, I know this is going to pass. This is an impermanent moment. And if I could just cling on to it, if I could build a shelter, if I could just, could we just hang out here forever? I think that's exactly the feeling that Peter has. And I want you to go back to that moment for you. And maybe you have several moments you could go back to. Do you have a moment that if you could, if you could just press a button and go back to it and just relive it all over again, what would that moment be? What did, what did it feel like? What's the emotion that comes with that? Because I think that's what Peter is feeling in this moment, trying to hold on to this impermanent, valuable time that he has with Jesus but also with Moses and Elijah. You have the moment in mind? All right, let's go back to the spectrum I mentioned earlier. We all understand the value of permanent things, of the Notre Dame Cathedral that can't just be rebuilt exactly as it was. And there's this value we place on permanence, but there's another kind of value, another kind of power that comes with things that don't stick around. There's a power, a preciousness, a joy that comes from those fleeting, passing moments. And this is less obvious to, me, to, to us, I think, but if you'll go with me, I, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. One of the days in my life, if I could press the button, I was looking through my photos on my computer, which is a gift to be able to do that, right? Instead of having to go to a, a photo album or try to dig that out of the attic. Like for us, the last 10 years, we've at least got somewhere on, on my computer. So I'm, I'm flipping through those photos, just trying to find what is that moment for me? What was a beautiful day? And one, one day I remember in specific was my oldest son's fourth birthday party. Maddox turned four and we had a superhero, Superman was his thing at the time, I guess. He had a cape on his outfit. And, uh, and this is a moment that's just kind of stuck in my mind was Maddox's fourth birthday party. If I could go back, there'd be a beautiful moment. We have more of those times ahead, of course. But maybe you, ha you have in your own mind a picture you could go back to, that impermanent moment, that joy-filled day. I think Matthew 17 is about the value we place on impermanent things or experiences. It's, there's a power to it. There's a preciousness to it. There's this fleeting sense that something valuable is there. Now, I don't know how many of you are flower, uh, you know, lovers, botanists, gardeners in the crowd today. Have any of you heard of the queen of the night flower? Is that familiar to anyone? We had one in first service that raise their hand. I don't see any today. I didn't know anything about this until this week because I was, oh, we, we have one over here? All right. Queen of the night flower. Well, we can talk about this later. You know more than I do probably. But for 364 days of the year, this uh, queen of the night flower is just this gangly, awkward cactus. In fact, 365 days of the year, 364 nights of the year, it looks like this. But one night a year, this flower blooms and it looks something like this. You can see it's lit up at night because that's the only time it blooms. And I, think about this for a moment, right? There are people that come from all over the place to come and for, I guess they're able to figure out what night of the year this thing blooms, but one night of the year it blooms and it wilts by dawn. 
right? All, think about all the things that go on around our world that are like this, right? That maybe some of you have flowers in your garden that a couple days out of the year, maybe a week, it kind of blooms and then it goes away. There's something about impermanence to a thing like this that gives it value, that gives it a beauty that the rest of the world can go on and miss it. It's like a life well lived. Many people don't know many of your parents or grandparents that you could tell stories about, right? It was an impermanent kind of fleeting moment on a, on a larger historical timeline, but it's valuable for those who get to see it. I grew up in San Diego, and so we had a lot of mudslides around. And so in our yard growing up, we had an ice plant around our house. And for most of the year, it, it wasn't a beautiful thing. It was just kind of a practical thing that we had around our yard. But about March or April every year, the purple would bloom on this ice plant. I, I tried to find a picture that would get as close as it was. This is kind of what it looked like. It was this just kind of beautiful picture all around our house that would bloom. It would only last for about two, three, four weeks out of the year, but it was a memory that I have, something that was valuable. I think you all can go back to moments like this. For some of you dads like me, maybe it's that moment when the girls say, put on Taylor Swift, we're blaring and we're singing it together, right? I have those moments in the car. Or maybe it's the last time that Maddox will ask me to go play catch with him. The thing is, we never know when that last time will be asked is, right? It's only something we reflect on after the fact, which is why a lot of you are shaking your heads right now, understanding this, saying, yes, take the time you have right now because one day it won't be there. And we're saying, yeah, come back and try to sleep in our house when there's not any sleep to be had, right? I mean, we all want moments sometimes that are different than the time we're in, but they're valuable moments, impermanent moments that I think we ought to have value for and give gratitude for as well. Peter recognizes this in Matthew 17. Peter does what a lot of us miss, I think, and he sees this is an impermanent moment. It's not going to be here forever. Moses, Elijah, Jesus is transfigured. How are we going to tell everyone else about this? If they weren't here, they won't understand. And so he wants to build a shelter. He wants to stay there forever. I think Peter's response is he wants to bottle it up. He wants to hold on to it. He wants to greedily kind of keep it just like it is while he has this sense that it won't be able to stay like it is. This will just be a moment. See, there are several options we have when we enter into these valuable, impermanent moments in our lives. One of them is to allow the sadness of these moments to creep in. Oh no, we're going to lose this moment. Or another is to allow the impermanence to heighten the joy of the moment. You have a choice in that moment how you respond to these moments. You can respond like Peter by trying to kind of hold on to it and keep it. Or you can learn to kind of open up all five senses and have gratitude for the moment as it is. Now, before I go deeper into this choice, I want to go back to that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that I read earlier. Rejoice always, Paul writes. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul knows what he's talking about. And this is why giving thanks or gratitude is such an important practice. Because you cannot rejoice always unless you are learning to give thanks, to show and practice gratitude in every situation. I don't believe there's any joy without gratitude. I don't think joy is something that wells up in us without a practice that puts us in tune with those gifts that come that we give thanks for. And here's why. Because the most terrifying and difficult emotion we feel as humans is joy. Now, some of you want to push back right now because that is not a, an intuitive statement, right? There are plenty of awful emotions that we think, 
terrifying, awful. I can name a lot more than joy being that, Colin, but I want to actually push for this. It's counterintuitive, but I think it's true. If you've ever been a parent, you probably have had that moment where you walk into your child's bedroom and they're asleep, maybe a toddler or an infant, and you have this overwhelming sense of, I had no idea that I could love a human being this much. Maybe for you it's a grandchild right now that you're putting to bed and you're thinking about this moment. I don't know what it is for you. For me, it was that moment. But in the same moment, it's amazing how this incredible gratitude and thanks I have for how could I love this thing, this, this child so much. At the same time, you can have this foreboding sense of, but everything awful could happen that could take this child away from me. Isn't it amazing how both of these emotions can occur at the same time? And I think this is how it works with joy is anytime we allow joy to fill our hearts, there's always this concern. There's always this vulnerability that's there. That what if we were to lose this thing that brings us most joy? I've been thinking about this, this, and there's probably lots of moments that can make us feel this way. How many of you have ever thought or said that at a certain moment? Something like, work is going well, things are perfect with my partner, my parents are doing well, my kids are doing just great, but your next phrase or thought is, it's too good to be true. What's about to go wrong? You don't let yourself fully enter into that joy because if you fully enter into it, then you're opened up to the pain that could come. Brene Brown was the one who gave me language for that experience of both of these things. She calls it foreboding joy. That's an interesting turn of phrase, foreboding joy. She talks about how love leaves us vulnerable to heartache. The joy leaves us vulnerable to devastation. And this is why there's no joy without gratitude. Because if our response to the blessings in our lives isn't gratitude, we're going to move right into foreboding joy. When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, joy all of a sudden becomes this awful emotion. And so what we do in moments of joyfulness often is we try to beat vulnerability to the punch. We try to beat the tragedy before it comes by tapping down our feelings a a little bit, not expressing full gratitude because if we do that, then we might be opened up. Brene talks about a man she interviewed who told her, my whole life, I never got too excited, too joyful about anything. I, I just stayed in the middle. That way, if things didn't work out, I didn't get devastated. And if things uh, did work out, it was a pleasant surprise. But this man that she interviewed said, his story was in his 60s. He was in a car accident and his wife of 40 years was killed. And he said, the second I realized she was gone, the first thing I thought was, I should have leaned harder into those moments of joy because that didn't protect me from what I'm feeling right now. Many of us are trying to dress rehearse tragedy so that we can beat vulnerability to the punch. But joyful people don't allow foreboding joy to keep them from living in the moment and experiencing it for all it's worth, for expressing the gratitude that comes. So instead of dress rehearsing tragedy, we choose to practice gratitude in response. And I know sometimes we say that phrase about an attitude of gratitude, and I know it rhymes, but I don't think that's actually how gratitude works. It's not an attitude. Gratitude is a practice. It's something we live into, something we do. And I think the best route to joy, full-hearted, wholehearted joy in our lives, is through the path of gratitude. 
And what's interesting is when you practice gratitude, all of a sudden your eyes become attentive to the world around you to begin to see it all over the place when it pops up. This is what it's done for me is when I know I've got a journal entry to write later tonight, all of a sudden I'm on the search throughout my day for whatever it is that God has sent in that I'm to give thanks for in that day. I've said this before plenty of times. I believe it with my whole heart. You find what you're looking for. And if cynicism is the life and the part of your heart that's growing, you're going to find plenty of reasons to be cynical. But I'm telling you, when gratitude is the way you enter into the world, it's amazing where joy pops up all over the place. It's amazing where the gifts of God become so much easier to see. Gratitude is how you put your antenna up for joy in your life. So here's what I want to encourage you to do before next Sunday, during this next week. I want to encourage you to go through that old photo album that you have in the attic. I want to encourage you to flip through your phone or through your computer in those photos. Remember back and have some laughs with the family about those great moments. But I'd love for you to single out a single picture maybe for you. Maybe it's something you put on your, your home screen uh, to remind you of the joy that's there. Maybe it's something that's permanent. Maybe it's a picture you had by the pyramids or by the cathedral at Notre Dame. Or maybe it's something that's impermanent. I think a lot of those pictures, like the one Christopher shared with us earlier, is, it's an impermanent moment, right? It's this moment that Christopher had with his grandmother uh, at that place at the end of her life. I want you to think about what that picture may be for you. Draw it up. Put it somewhere you can remember. Use it as a way to uh, channel back into gratitude. Or, or maybe, maybe you want to start a, a gratitude journal. It's really simple. Each day I just kind of write down the date and, and, uh, and I just write down something before my head hits the pillow that I'm grateful for. Sometimes it's a, just a silly moment with family. Sometimes it's a just a memory of something that came into my mind of something I'm grateful for. Sometimes it's somebody in my life that maybe I had a meeting or lunch with that I'm grateful for. And uh, catalog that, and it'll be amazing to see as you look back the ways that God has blessed you. Or maybe it's this. This week, our family, we often will get around the dinner table and we'll ask the question, tell us about your high moment and low moment of the day. We'll play high-low at the table. And, and that's a great way to kind of get our kids to talk. But this week, I, we asked a different question. Today, we want to know what are you grateful for that happened today? And all of a sudden, the lens of our kids is kind of funneling through their day through a different lens than just what was the worst thing that happened. That's easy to come up with sometimes. Other days, it's easy to come up with the best thing. But what we want to train and teach our kids is the same thing that I'm learning in my life, and that is when you look for things to be grateful for, they're all over the place. We want to uh, make that a practice our kids begin to learn and discern as well. So any of those things may be a way for you. You may have another idea, which is great as well, but let's lean in to gratitude in this season. Uh, and I want to close with prayer, and then I'll, I'll close us with the benediction from First Thessalonians one more time. Let's pray as we close this morning. God, I thank you. <laughs> I start with those words because we have so much to be thankful for. God, I know there are people in this room that, that it's really hard maybe to get to a place of gratitude because bad news is there or, or difficulty or maybe it's anxiety or depression that's making things foggy and making it easier to see what it is to, uh, it's easy to be afraid of, God. God, there's a lot in our world that's a mess. And this isn't a Pollyanna view that says, well, let's just uh, have the power of positive thinking in our lives. No, this is a practice, a spiritual rhythm that we want to develop to give you the honor and the glory and the thanks for all that you have done. Paul was wise to give us these commands, that we would be joyful, that we would pray continually that we would give thanks in all circumstances. So God, help us to be a people who do that, reaping the rewards of a life that's lived in gratitude. And God, for those moments of foreboding joy in our lives, 
those moments where maybe we're afraid to lean in with full joy because of what might be lost, God. I want us to lean in again to full joy, to full gratitude, because there's a gift to be reaped from that as well. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.